I believe it is our fate to be here. It is our destiny. I believe that for each and every one of us, this podcast hosts the very meaning of our lives. I'm Crystal and the Matrix has you at hello. Luke, you're with me as well. I sure am. I didn't know we had to do, I don't know, we had a whole bit planned for the intro. <laughs> yeah, I came up with that two seconds before I said it. Okay. <laughs> uh, we also have a special guest on this episode. It's Jackson. Hello. One of the greatest Matrix Reloaded defenders. I would not describe myself as one of the greatest <laughs> Matrix Reloaded defenders. I just, I just like the freeway chase. Uh-huh, uh-huh. A defender of certain aspects of the Matrix Reloaded. <laughs> To be fair, the freeway chase takes up a shockingly large percentage of the Matrix Reloaded. As should it. What's one of the best parts? <laughs> yeah, they knew what they had. As opposed to the Burly Brawl, which just is fucking terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listen, it's terrible to a degree that I'm kind of endeared by it. It just goes on and on and on, and I'm like, this isn't even one of the good action scenes. But it also looks like a bad PS3 cutscene, and that kind of makes me like it. Well, let's 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 lay our cards on the table. We could be playing the Matrix Path of Neo, but we're not, we tragically. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Would you believe that this movie is actually shorter than the first film? I, yeah, it seems like the math doesn't add up, because I see that number, it's a smaller number than the first one, but boy, this feels longer. Well, that's because it could be argued that this is not a film, this is part one of the Year of the Matrix multimedia experience. Uh-huh. Because not only is this a part one of two movies, but there's also a lot of parts in this movie where it's like, hey, do you want to know more about this subplot? Go play Enter the Matrix. Or, yeah, go watch the Animatrix if you want to know what they're talking about in the first scene. But before we get into the Matrix Reloaded, Jackson, you agreed to do our dumb bit of rating every single Marvel movie with a letter grade. Yeah, let's go. I got, I got S for days. <laughs> um, you can see the spreadsheet at bit.ly slash marvelgpa. Thank you. <laughs> I have typed that in. Here we go. Uh, let me tell you right now, these ratings are too high across the board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. You can you can make low ratings. That's fine. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I didn't realize that there were pluses and minuses. There's. I will be using the letter grades A to F like someone who can rate movies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No half stars. No half stars. I don't split letters into three different things. Um, but okay, let's 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 do this. Okay, Iron Man. Iron Man is a solid movie uh, in my memory. That that can get a B. The Incredible Hulk. That is an F. That is a bad movie. Okay, wow. Yeah. Yeah, why did I give it a D plus? Why was I that nice to the Hulk? Oh, cuz I like the pizza guy, right? <laughs> Iron Man 2. Uh, Iron Man 2 is um hmm, let's say a D. 
Thor. Uh, Thor is also a D. It's not very good, but there yeah. are parts of it I look back on and think, lol, that was a stupid Dutch angle. <laughs> 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 That's like a quirk of personality they don't they don't let them do anymore. Yeah, yeah. See, I feel I feel like our perspectives are actually similar in that we tend to hang on to like stupid little small bits and say, well, right. that movie wasn't so bad because that little small bit happens. But you recognize that still makes it a D film. <laughs> right, uh, right. I just profoundly dislike uh the marvel cinematic universe and everything it's done to cinema um and these ratings shall reflect this but i can note like parts i've enjoyed yeah no listen i'm with you i just feel like yeah i I tried to be nicer when it came to the actual grading but yeah you're not saying anything i disagree with the actual most depressing part of the spreadsheet and i want to be clear here it is not the grades of being too high it is the fact that the the there are like 10 movies that have not yet come out that are already on the spreadsheet (laughs) yeah uh uh-huh yes Oh, oh, they make too many of these fucking movies. They make too many of these fucking movies. We got caught up earlier this year and then they put like four more out. It's like, well, shit, never mind. Uh, Captain America, the first Avenger is a is a C. You can have a C there. I'm feeling generous. The Avengers. This one's hard to rank because I loved it when I was younger. And I know I don't anymore, but I haven't like rewatched it. Um, I'm gonna say... This, I'm going to be, okay, just to compensate for how many bad grades are about to be hitting, uh, I'm going to say C again. Um, I'm sure it is, I don't know, I would have to watch it, maybe I'll do that for a show. Uh, but there you go. Uh, Iron Man 3. Iron Man 3 is, okay, it's a D, but there are bits I like. There are bits where it's doing the uh, Shane Black stuff that's, that's fine. Uh, as a movie, it doesn't even hold together even slightly, but there are a couple funny scenes. Thor the Dark World. Come on, that's an F. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I see only one F here in this grading. That's true. I only went D for it because Crystal really likes it and I didn't want to hurt her feelings. (laughs) Crystal? (laughs) Okay, I'm not saying Thor the Dark World is like a great movie. No, no one would do that. (laughs) I don't think it is so much egregiously worse than the average Marvel movie. <laughs> to be fair, let's look at the great curve I'm grading on, <laughs> and I can say we uh, most must agree with that one. Uh-huh. Um, Captain America 2, The Winter Soldier. This is hard, because there are parts of it I find like deeply repugnant uh, mm-hmm. and cowardly, but there's also the part where Toby Jones is uh, a Nazi on a floppy drive, and that's funny. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I guess I'll go see Guardians of the Galaxy. That's a D. Straight D. Hell yeah. Avengers 2 Age of Ultron. That's also a D. Uh, Ant-Man. That's a C. That's a C. Ant-Man's a C. Ant-Man's, a, Ant-Man's fine. Ant-Man is maybe the most C movie ever made. If all the MCU movies were like Ant-Man, they would just... Well, first of all, there'd be like three of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they'd just be fine. Um, Captain America Civil War. F! F, 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 F! One of the worst movies I've ever seen. That movie ends with a speech directed to the audience proclaiming that none of this matters. That's what they <laughs> say. He, he puts a letter and says, this doesn't really matter. And you're meant to leave the cinema thinking that you've had a, watched a movie, but they tricked you. Yeah, this is another one. I gotta go, I gotta go back and listen to our episode on it, because what the... Why did I give it a C? What did I like about it? I don't remember had, like enjoying a single scene from it. You can adjust your grade, Luke, if you, I can change that. I, I'll hold it for now. I gotta go back and hear what the fuck I was on. Uh, Doctor Strange. Uh, that is also an F. It doesn't have the, like, ideological terror that, uh, the weird Civil War, uh, finally now we have government regulation, it might be bad, uh, plotline has, <laughs> but it is 
just unimaginably boring. That's the Doctor Strange crime. I just find it so dull. They compared that movie to The Matrix when they were marketing it. It's no The Matrix. It is not The Matrix. No, it's not. <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy 2. That's also an F. That's terrible. He turns into fucking Pac-Man. Yeah, that's a, that's a rough moment. Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, this is, this is a D. We'll go up to D for this one. Because uh, th- he does do a flip. Um, and the bit where Spider-Man does a flip is pretty good. But then the plot line is Spider-Man, the like working guy hero of Marvel, the down in his luck, can't pay his bills guy, beating up uh, essentially dock workers for a billionaire. So, blah, 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 blah. The tragedy of these Spider-Man films is they're very bad at being Spider-Man films. But when they're just like high school romantic comedies, I, I think they're pretty all right. They should just make those. Um, yeah, they sh- generally speaking, they should start making those again and stop putting bits of better genres into superhero movies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Thor Ragnarok. Uh, that's a that's a C. Black Panther. Oh, uh, this is this, this is one I would have to revisit because I liked parts of it. Uh, but the ending is one of the most evil things Marvel's ever done. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna like solve um imperialism in Africa through a STEM program. It just it's just like oh guys, awful. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we'll give it a C just because just to uh, balance out some stuff here. But yeah, Avengers: Infinity War, straight F. Ant Man Two and the Wasp. Haven't seen it, so we'll uh have to. <laughs> I can rate it if you want. <laughs> You can do whatever you want. Here's okay. Here's my gut. Here's my gut guess. Have not seen that movie, but um, I'm gonna go ahead and say that's a D because if Ant Man was a C, this will be like Ant Man. So have some of the bit bits that you, that you want, but then too many bad jokes, mm-hmm. uh, too much stuff going on, um, and that's my assumption. Is it's just one step down from Ant Man one. No, Lawrence Fishburne's in that movie, and they fucking waste him. They do. that's criminal. That's criminal. Yeah. Uh, Captain Marvel. Haven't seen it. Um, I'll give it a D, then, I guess. It, I know people like some of it. I'm sure Samuel Jackson's fun in it. Uh, I also know it's the Air Force one, which, lol, yeah. but they're all that. It's all of them. That's the whole thing. Right. Avengers Endgame. Oh, this can. This is a D, which is... It be, it's better than Infinity War. It's better than Infinity War, which is truly dire. Um, but the bit at the end where they all show up is like damn i too could be watching naruto right now (laughs) (laughs) um spider-man far from home haven't seen it but i'm giving it an f because spider-man beats up vfx workers so it's the what can we do to make it even worse and more (laughs) ideologically fraught than spider-man beats up uh salvages for a billionaire you know when you put it that way Uh, have you seen anything released this year, such as Black Widow or Eternals? No. <laughs> so, no, I will not rate all of those, but I will say that I have seen the first 10 minutes of Black Widow, and I have not laughed at almost anything as hard <laughs> as I laughed when the credits for Black Widow came on, and it was a sad cover of Smells Like Teen Spirit. I was on <laughs> the floor. I turned the movie <laughs> off immediately after, because I was like, you can't beat that! You can't God. beat that! It's really boring! But holy shit, lol! Did they already do that in Captain Marvel? Uh, maybe I didn't. See- no, the Smells Like Teen Spirit is definitely Black Widow because I've seen it. I don't know what they did in um the other one in Black Widow, but so the the only MCU movie that you've given a positive score is Iron Man One. 
<laughs> that checks out. I, I don't know. That might be me being nice in my memory, but I remember Iron Man yeah. being a totally watchable movie. It's still like yeah. evil and about how, you know, the terrifying uh, people of the Middle East are going to kidnap the arms dealers who we are now sympathetic for. Um, right, it's about how maybe uh, if uh, private billionaires controlled uh, the war on terror instead of the government, it would be solved. Exactly. Uh, but I remember the bit where he eats that burger. That was funny. I remember uh, um, Jeff Bridges just having ridiculous... You know, he, Tony Stark did build us in a cave with a box of scraps. And that's a classic line in a way that I don't... There are very few lines in other Marvel movies that are spoken of that way. I think it's because the machine is too big, so now the, the, like, the mimeticness is built into the films. Right. Like, there's a lot of lines people quote from Thor Ragnarok, but it doesn't feel as organic as like people posting Tony Stark built this in a box of scraps on yeah, forums yeah. in 2008. Yeah, the famous thing with Iron Man is they didn't really have a script, so a lot of that movie was just improvised and ad-libbed, which makes it more memorable. Uh, yes. Uh, there's, we also have non-MCU movies. Do you have an opinion on Venom? Haven't seen Venom. I bet it's good. All my friends like it. I trust them. So, you know, uh, I bet Venom's fine. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Haven't seen that one because I'm stupid, apparently. Everyone's been <laughs> yelling at me to watch it for now three years. And I just haven't because I'm bad at my life. Uh, Jerry Maguire. <laughs> have not seen that movie. <laughs> just... But for no, not like the other one where I'm like, oh, I should. I have just never had the desire to see Jerry Maguire. Yeah, you're not missing anything. (laughs) I bet it would be fine if I saw it. I, you know, there's loads of like romantic dramas and comedies. From I assume that's a light romantic comedy, not like super funny. But I bet it's in that in that that space. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Like I said, I don't know. I just know um, you had me at hello. That's all I know. Right. Uh, Spider-Man. Spider-Man 2002? Yes. Five stars, A. There we go. Spider-Man 2. Oh, also A. (laughs) Spider-Man 3. Um... Like, it should be a C. I want to say a B. I get no B, because it's, it's about on the same level as Iron Man 1. So I guess by my my ratings, I have to give it a B. But it is it is less <laughs> than the first two. Uh, yeah. Spider-Man, Turn Off the Dark 2.0, Broadway recording, full HD. <laughs> a plus, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're giving a plus to this one. No, I'm, I'm joking. I've never seen it. Uh, but I have yeah. heard about it and laughed a lot. <laughs> and finally, The Matrix, 1999. Um, That's a solid... Uh, these ratings are ridiculous. It is better than Iron Man, but I was going to say B. It's not like my favorite movie. I guess I'll give it an A in this context, but these are all, this is ridiculous. This is how you end up with giving <laughs> one a B plus and one an A minus, even though I I refuse, I refuse. So I will give The Matrix a B and just be satisfied with what I've done. Oh, very well. You have you have definitely lowered the average uh, score. <laughs> I, think, I think it was at a C plus cumulative total. I think it might be down to a C or even a C minus now, which sounds right. Incredible. Yeah. Let's take a look at the these uh, averages. Damn, damn. Oh, you've got a whole GPA in here. This is this <laughs> yeah. Is yeah, Chris has <laughs> made a whole transcript for the MCU. This is this is data. Data is happening behind mm-hmm. the scenes. You know where else data is happening? In the Matrix. <laughs> in the code of the Matrix, Neo has become the one. It's six months later. Uh, what do we do now, Jackson? What was like your history with the Matrix and uh, this film in particular? So uh, I have an interesting history here in that I was not allowed to watch the Matrix when it was, when it was coming out because I was a little baby. Um, when I was not, I was born in ninety three, so I would have been like seven seven when the Matrix came out. I guess if it's ninety nine. Um, the Matrix Reloaded is I'm a little older. I'm like, you know, I'm 10, 11, 12 around that time. Um, and it's coming out on TV and everything. Uh, and I ended up catching, I got a video, someone videotaped when the Matrix aired on Channel 5. And I watched it, but I was still wasn't allowed to watch it. And I, 
Uh, my mum caught me watching it and she turned it off. But she happened to turn it off right after the scene, the not like this scene. Oh no. So you know those videos where someone's like um edited Toy Story 3 to end in the scene where they're all going into the fire? <laughs> right. That's basically what organically happened to me for the Matrix. <laughs> in that I uh experienced the Matrix entirely from and then everyone died and I couldn't finish it for multiple years. God. Uh, so I eventually came back. I, I, my friend, I, I was like breathlessly listening to my friend describe the plot of the Matrix sequel. So I knew what happened in them. Um, but I didn't really have the context. And eventually I bought the big box set. And then the very next day I broke my arm. Oh no. And so I was in hospital for a while. And then when I got out and uh, was lying at home with a lot of pain i watched the matrix the matrix reloaded uh the matrix revolutions the animatrix it was the the 10 disc box set i listened to those amazing commentaries uh with the uh, film critics the philosophers one was less good i'm not gonna lie yeah um but these are the opinions of a 13 year old so please take them with a grain of salt <laughs> no of course I have no idea <laughs> And I really liked them. I thought they were cool. I liked the fights. I liked the mechs. Uh, I liked the the part where stuff happened. I was not thinking that deeply about the Matrix. Um, and as I've got older and rewatched them, I've uh, I don't think my opinions changed that much. I like the Matrix Reloaded because it is a movie in which there are cool scenes and all the lines by certain characters are on the page very bad yeah yet as delivered by larry fishburne they, they are the greatest li- like i don't think morpheus is cool i think larry fishburne is cool these this is this is a dis- deep distinction because when he says what if tomorrow the war could be over i wouldn't think that line is cool if someone else was saying it but he is saying it and it rules yeah that's definitely like one of the tensions of this movie is half of zion doesn't really believe in morpheus's religion but also i understand how he could convert people because Lawrence fishburne is charismatic zion hear me luke what about your history with this film so yeah uh we talked last time i saw the first matrix like in a basement with my cousins on like a shitty little tv and uh, by the time, you know, Reloaded came out, I was old enough that I could, like, talk my parents into, you know, hey, I'm like 13, I can go to an R-rated movie, right? Come on! Come on! Um, I think I mostly got to see this one in theaters because my dad wanted to see it, because he liked the first Matrix. Um, I remember liking it. I remember not really understanding a lot of what happens in it. Um, but just being kind of, like, taken in by the whole thing, and then just on the drive home, my dad being very, like, that sucked, that was terrible, none of the dialogue made any sense, I don't know what happened in that movie, and they just, it, it ended on a commercial for the next movie, so, like, it's not even a full movie, they cheated you out of your money, they didn't give you the ending to the story. I was like, I don't know, I, I, I kind of liked it, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I was definitely somebody that, like, I was very into, like, the Matrix sequels for a while when I was, like, you know, 13, 14. Like, I just enjoyed them. I I think coming into, like, um, a movie w- at that age for me when, like, I get to the architect scene and I don't understand half the words that fucking guy is saying because they're above my reading level at that point. Uh, and that means it must be smart, right? Um, I think there's also a part of me that is just fundamentally a sucker for any story that, like, the hero gets to, like, their final goal, and it turns out there's just, like, a guy there who tells them why the entire thing they've been doing is stupid and bad. Like, I got really into Metal Gear Solid 2 around the same exact time, uh, for, you know, basically the same ending. 
Um, yeah, I liked it a lot at the time. I rem- and then kind of over the years, just hearing people rag on it over and over, I kind of was just like, maybe it was bad. Maybe I was just a dumb 13-year-old when I saw it. I don't know. And then watching it as an adult, I've kind of come to the point where like, I don't know if this is a good movie. I have some fun watching it, though. Yeah, my parents didn't care what I watched, though. I was watching DVDs of The Matrix 1 as a six-year-old. Uh-huh. And then <laughs> and then I saw this when it came out in a theater sitting next to my dad as a nine-year-old as we watched the big Zion orgy, which uh-huh. was a little awkward. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh, yes. But this has always been my favorite of the ones. I think I watched this one more than any of the others, but it's been some time since I rewatched this. And maybe the thing that stood out to me most on this watch is that this is like this is what the MCU is now, where every movie is a commercial for the next movie. Uh huh. And I can totally see why your dad would feel cheated on this because now I have to wait for the next fucking movie and play the video game and buy the DVD anime collection to really understand the story. And that's been like uh, a thing that bothers my dad for like decades. Like that, he saw Empire Strikes Back in movie theaters. Like, well, they didn't end it. They just, they're going to make me go watch the third movie. I'm just done with Star Wars now. Goodbye. And he's just never bothered watching Return of the Jedi. The entire last 40 years of culture have existed purely to spite your dad. Because holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> But yeah, no, you're totally right. This is the type of storytelling we get so much more of now that is just like, it's not really a movie. It is an episode of a TV show with long episodes. And the other thing that stood out to me in this movie is that the first movie is like a a, a well-done, polished Joseph Campbell superhero origin story. Sure. But in this one, the character, there's a lot of scenes in this one where the characters are like, well, I don't really know what to do now. I guess we have to wait for something to happen. And then they're strung along from place to place by various programs, which I guess is like thematically appropriate, but it does make it maybe a little less exciting to watch than the first movie where Morpheus and Neo were proactively doing things. Yeah, the big thing that stuck out to me watching it last night was just that the pacing in this movie feels really off to me. It feels very slow. Like, the first Matrix really goes just like a mile a minute, but it's clear with its storytelling enough that you don't feel lost. This one, it's just every scene feels like it is like one and a half times to two times longer than it should be. That's weird, because I felt the opposite. I was like, this movie is on double speed. This is a compilation movie of itself. In the, like, for example, um, they get the Keymaker, and they have the, um, the highway chase. Yeah. And they get out, uh, and they're, like, hard cuts to the Keymaker in the room explaining the heist, and the three ships are already there, and they have the heist plan all worked out. And I'm like, blah, 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 go, go back, what happened? Did I miss ten minutes of the movie? No, you're totally right. At that point, it's like, they're like, wait, shit, we ran out of time. We gotta get the plot of this movie in here. <laughs> We spent too much time with that cave sex scene. I even thought that the start is like, you go opening scenes are the dream sequence. Then uh, they wake up, then they log in, uh, they jack in, and then immediately they're in the um, uh, scene yeah. about the Osiris. And then the agents are coming. Let me go deal with that. And then Smith there. And I'm like, we're just going to think, 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 things. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Maybe it's it's more right to say, like, they just don't know which things to devote more time to and which things to devote less time to. It, it's it's a very chaotic movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's... There's not, like, really a ton of character moments between scenes. They're just, like, stringing between this is the philosophy scene and this is the action scene. Yeah, is there a single scene in this movie where Neo and Morpheus just have, like, a conversation? Um, Not really. 
where like their relationship is like one of the core bits of the first movie, and they they like give plot info to one another a couple times in this one, and that's it. Neo has more of a conversation with that um that counselor guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another thing that stood out to me in this is um Neo thinks Trinity is very important. He loves and believes in Trinity. Right. He doesn't really seem to have an attachment to anybody else. Right. Well, I think that's supposed to be, like, the idea, right? Because the one is supposed to fall in love with humanity, but Neo is fall in love with one human. Sure, but it's weird to see that be portrayed as, like, a good heroic thing. Like, the sexual politics of this movie are weird. If the first one was supposed to be a trans allegory or whatever, yeah. this movie does not feel uh, queer. It feels very, like, heterosexual, where the romantic leads are deeply possessive of each other. Sure. It, it's it's strange in that like you can read the matrix that way um because obviously that is like an intended like you know they have spoken at length about it being intended read uh since the movie came out and especially lately um with like you know red pill shit being so needing to be shouted down we'll see how this discourse goes in the new movie i guess yep um but there's like a clear allegory there right like you can take it and then this is just a complete it's a completely different movie it's like okay now it's about what the matrix is and if you think about it the matrix is its own form of society man Ooh. um which is like it's just a ridiculous big brain idea that i think um doesn't necessarily work as well like i have friends who love these sequels and i'm not here to like take it away from them i i enjoy the matrix reloaded a whole lot uh but i definitely don't invest in the the philosophical arguments of the two sequels uh as much as some people yeah because i could definitely and i have not rewatched revolutions yet i could see the argument of like these two movies kind of backpedal a little and be like okay the matrix isn't really a metaphor for like systemic oppression or whatever it's just a different thing and like we just got to find balance between everything and everybody's just got to compromise with each other and then we're all happy because like th- this movie has a lot of like well we can't just destroy the machines we rely on the machines you know they're, they're trying to murder us but we need them just as much as they need us if you think about it i guess that's what yeah that's it's weird i would have to rewatch the revolutions as well because yeah my, my memory of revolutions is like and this movie's kind of has that as well that smith is such an aberration in the plan that they have right. to team up to defeat smith um but the matrix is not destroyed at the end of the revolutions right uh and what does that say about what these stories like meant to be um I, i'm curious because obviously like they're not interested in destroying the matrix and i wouldn't really be either um yeah. i know how that story goes uh but it does raise the question of what is the matrix meant to be metaphorically is it like yeah. this system of total enslavement of the human nature like human very natures or is it a broader metaphor about how society in many ways large and small um through context like places people into like uh situations where their choices are more limited than they perceive their agency to be which that's right. what this movie's about uh, yeah definitely because it, yeah it's about them realizing that they are not as liberated from the matrix as they thought they were in the first movie uh yes it is the the zion and the one are part of the system's design and their own uh fake situation yeah yeah um how did you feel about the depiction of Zion in this movie? Uh, I think it's a PS1 JRPG town. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> There's definitely exactly. a lot of that in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, yes, they absolutely <laughs> were thinking of Midgar when they decided yes. this. 
I don't even mean Midgar specifically, but like that's obviously a good touchdown. But just like this, I understand that they built some sets and I some of CGI and there's lots of real people in there. But just the way it's shot and the way it's like we went from the docks to the room with the counselor is like, oh, I went through the these four JPEGs with my character models. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Well, especially, like, you know, it doesn't actually matter, but, like, most of Zion is, like, yeah, just metal railings and catwalks, but then there's also, like, you know, cave systems that, like, I get how those two things can be next to each other, but I don't get a sense of, like, flow from one area to the next. This does not really all feel like one place. And you have, like, that control room that's just, like, pure white that they're all just using holograms in. That doesn't feel it belongs here at all. I interpret that that as being, like, a Matrix space. It is like a Matrix. They are, they are on the, um the uh the the chairs from the ship yeah i guess that's true but it, that was that scene was really interesting to me and it's like okay so obviously we know that these people are freed from the matrix largely some people have been born here but mostly people are freed from the matrix here yeah why would they build a system to control the door that requires them to be in the matrix because they're just in the matrix pressing fake buttons and it's not like they're in the virtual space thus having greater physical ability to control the door it's this interesting bit of world building of like it's just easier to build a virtual system than it is to build a control panel of buttons and things but the next to them is people with buttons and like actual uh switches and stuff so i'm like stay on this explain this explain explain yourself they could have put in some bit about like how they discovered zion originally they didn't build it themselves and like this is just like the interface set up you have to jack into it and that could be foreshadowing that you know the machines built zion on purpose as part of the system yeah it's like uh, the citadel in mass effect sure yeah magic is better than the mass effect there there you go that's take the matrix is way fucking better than mass effect (laughs) way better than mass effect (laughs) yes um, but yeah, it, it's it, it's interesting that in the first movie, there wasn't a lot of like physical intimacy between people, whereas that's a very big focus in like all the Zion scenes, right? Most famously <laughs> with the big orgy. Yes. Does, it's not an orgy. It's a dance that gets a little raunchy. But that is specifically not an orgy. Like, it, it, like Neo and Trinity are doing missionary in the back room. Yeah. <laughs> uh, while everyone else is dancing. And it's like the most like, okay, so we have this crowd of people who are uh, <laughs> uh, doing Cox voice, dancing erotically. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> they come to dance, Zion to dance erotically. <laughs> and it is a like deliberately shot crowd of mostly people of color uh specifically lots of black people like obviously it's, it is a diverse area but like a lot of the characters we know from zion are black uh, yeah. and it focuses on them and it's like you know they are doing something here i'm not sure exactly what they are doing from intercutting this uh public display of like more general revelry with neo and trinity having to go to the back room to uh privately do missionary I don't know. I know they go on to make Sense8, and that's also weirdly racist. Um, And, you know, Cloud Atlas happens, so I'm not here to say this is, like, really bold stuff, but it's definitely something I was like, damn, I haven't done the work to know (laughs) what's being laid down here. Yeah, I feel like the Wachowskis are very, like... Like, like you said, very racist in, in some ways in their works, but in a way that, like, I think they feel like they're actually being very progressive. Like, no, 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 like, we got to strip race out of it. Like, we're all one. We're all the human race, you guys. And look at all these people of all these different ethnicities just dancing and, you know, grinding on each other. And doesn't that just make you feel like we're all one? There's no differences between anybody. That is, I think, that's what Cloud Atlas is. I think this is a little different. 
because um, Cloud Atlas is literally people playing like uh, multiple races across different races. Like, uh, and the whole that whole thing is like we're all one and repeating. Um, this is like it could be that, but instead it comes off as like a scene about how Neo and Trinity, in their position as like chosen one, powerful heroes, um, and specifically as like the two white leads of this movie, have entirely rejected community and belonging for this very private um just gonna fuck for a couple for 20 minutes you're saying they should be fucking on the dance floor i'm not saying they should be fucking on the dance floor i'm saying that like by separating the two things of neo and trinity uh like their sexual love which is so powerful it even entrances ancient programs with its purity right (laughs) um uh separating that from like the community of a big dance before the end of the world uh is interesting and i don't think it's meant to be a criticism of them but it comes off as like this is what this form of very narrow um heterosexual you know uh, love and i understand that's not how people read neon trinity's relationship as because of the actual metaphor in the other movies um but in this in this specifically the imagery is like this is what it is to be with a woman that you love in this very possessive way and it is to abandon community on some level yeah i i think that's an interesting way to take it i i've always like assumed the the intended take is less that like hey these two things are happening separately and more like we're cross-cutting between the two because it's all like one big thing but you're right like literally they're in a room they're in a room alone together as opposed to everybody else who is just a big throng of just moving bodies right and it's not even like they were part of it for a little bit and then slipped away they immediately left they did not (laughs) want any part of this there's a scene where she walks in and then within three seconds he's like let's go fuck let's go fuck let's go fuck i want to go fuck now please yeah, or like they're they're in the elevator and the second they're alone, they just like throw all their shit down and just start furiously making out. Like, you would think you hadn't seen each other in a while, but you're together constantly. He woke up next to her in bed. I don't believe they're not fucking on the Nebuchadnezzar. There's only four people on that ship, and there used to be eight. Yeah, yeah. They're they're weirdly embarrassed about showing like any physical affection in front of other people. Like it would not be that weird for them to kiss in while while other people can see them. Right. Yeah, it's weird. And then you combine that with all the weird cuck games going on with the Merovingian and Persephone. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this, this is like a high school movie drama like why is this kiss such a big deal yeah well and just watching this whole sequence you know and i was thinking about sense eight which like you said jackson a lot of racism in that show but like the orgy scenes they do in sense eight i feel like do a way better job of communicating a sense of like joy and these people like have like this honest affection for one another they are like make each other happy when they're all mind fucking each other this is just like i I feel like there's not much narrative to this it just kind of keeps going without i feel like everything the scene has to say it gets out of the way immediately and then just you're stuck in it for another you know five to ten minutes i mean the song bangs yeah song's pretty good the song (laughs) is really good i feel so bad for commander Locke. (laughs) said no one ever Please explain to me your sympathy for Commander Locke. (laughs) (laughs) He, okay, the first scene we see with him is like Morpheus stayed behind when all the ships are ordered to come back to Zion and Locke wants to see him. Crucially, he convinces Captain Bane to stay behind so he can go instead. But okay, Locke sees him as like, okay, would I would like to know why you did that, please. And Morpheus is just immediately like, I don't have to explain myself to you. Right. Why are you 
he's everything he's asking is completely reasonable and everybody treats him like an asshole immediately and he is just like trying to hold back his own anger because for some reason it would be inappropriate for him to treat other people this way Uh uh-huh well because everyone else believes in you know the prophecy and he's like y'all there's fucking squids coming we gotta shoot them Quit taking my guns away! The thing that's funny for me is how much Locke keeps saying he believes. Like, he's like, I believe they will attack here. And I understand that the, the writers are doing this in order... Yeah. I mean, I get, you know, it's it's still it's just the writers. It's, it's the Wachowskis. Uh, um, but they're doing this so um, just to show that, like, in a way, isn't Locke's uh, faith that the machines will attack in this way also a form of belief? But it ends up being like, why is he saying? Why is he starting talking like Morpheus? Like, right. more, he should not be saying, "I believe tomorrow the war could be over if we only uh, counterattack at this point." Well, no. When you think about it, atheism is just another religion. Well, I mean, like, yeah, <laughs> yes, it is. It is also a belief structure. We all have belief yeah. structures, but it is right. a very yeah. hilariously on the nose dialogue way. It just sounds like he wouldn't say, "I believe this," because yeah. his belief is that he doesn't have beliefs, even if he does. He convinces himself he is believing in logic and reason. Um, and it's just a hilarious little quirk of the dialogue. And real quick, I'm looking through the cave rave scene. Is there just a pit of lava in the middle of this cave? I think there might be a pit of lava in the middle of the cave. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, because they say geothermal energy is what is what keeps them. I guess that is true. That makes sense. <laughs> the 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 scene with Locke that made me feel bad for him the most is when like the elder white councilman like i guess just didn't tell him that he was gonna let the nebuchadnezzar leave and he had to find out from someone else uh-huh and he's just charging in there like you could have at least told me first and he's just like well morpheus is better than you right it's so unclear to me what the situation is in zion with morpheus's belief because like the council side with morpheus but Locke doesn't but they keep Locke around, even, so I'm like, it, what is this belief? Is it, like, a real thing? And, like, Neo is literally, uh, walks into a scene where he is a Jesus figure feeding the hungry, as they all stand up next to him, and Trinity leaves, and it's like, you need them, you need to be an inspiration to the people. Uh, and I'm like, okay, so he's this kind of figure, but Locke doesn't believe him, but everyone else seems to... It, is it just Locke? <laughs> Is it just luck being enough? Well, because a lot of the the other captains of the ships also don't seem to believe. The impression I got was, like, it's a very widespread religion in Zion, but a lot of the, like, soldiers on the front lines are like, yeah, okay, that's great you believe that. I, we have, like, practical concerns that kind of override your, you know, dumb faith. I would just like some more clarity as to what the structure of society is in Zion, because... It's such a different context that these conversations happen. I'm like, I need to know. I need to know what's happening here. I need to know how uh, Morpheus relates to Niobe's, like, you know, uh, begrudging acceptance of this belief, even though she thinks the prophecy is bullshit. But she likes Morpheus because they decide to turn that into like a Morpheus-Niobe-Locke love triangle. Uh, yeah. As if I could ever in human history be invested in such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> why does Niobe... Why is she with Locke? She does not seem to like him at all. Because she wants to piss off Morpheus. Yeah, I guess that's it. Again, this is high school drama. Uh-huh. But yeah, there is... The other representative we get of like people who don't really believe in Morpheus is um, Link from the Legend of Zelda series. Uh-huh, yeah. Who is like Tank's and Dozer's brother-in-law... And I guess I guess nobody believes in Morpheus enough to join his ship because he's still short-staffed. It's just the the three guys and uh, Link as the operator, and that's also destroying Link's marriage, I guess. Well, because his wife is just like, "Hey, yeah, both my brothers died under Morpheus. Please, I, you're gonna die too. I'd like it if you didn't." 
Uh, we should bring up the the reason Tank is not in this movie is not a great reason. Not a great reason. Like Marcus Chong, Tank's actor, had some kind of like contract dispute with the Wachowskis, and it seems like Warner Brothers did actually screw him over. Mm. Yeah, it's it's not great. Yeah, yeah, that's that's no good. Because yeah, the version of that I've heard in the past was just he asked for too much money. But yeah, I've not heard the side that he he got screwed over. Yeah, I think it would be reasonable for him to get money if. Because, like, all the drama with Tank and Dozer's family is, like, an even bigger part of the next movie. Yeah. Yeah, he's, like, kind of a major character in that first one. Yeah. I guess uh, we would cover, yeah, because around this time also is when you find out that Agent Smith can uh, assimilate other people now. Yeah, Agent Smith is back and now he can copy other people because he's been, like... I, I don't know, imbued. He He's J. Edgar Hoover and Neil convinced him he's trans or he's been imbued with revolutionary energy or whatever allegory you want to use. But he also doesn't really believe in people like Neo. He just believes in himself, so he wants to be everyone in the Matrix and take over everything. Right. It's like we were saying last time of, like, Smith is somebody who, like, is also, like, even though he's upholding all the oppressive systems, he is suffering under them also, but instead of, uh, like, fighting against them in, like, a meaningful way for everybody, he's just out for himself now. And he can goop you and make you a smith. The, for the first 40 minutes of this movie, they're just waiting for a call from the Oracle, <laughs> for some reason, I guess. They are. Like, Neo had a big speech about how he's gonna show people what's what's possible, but it doesn't seem like anything has come of that. They're still kind of in the same status quo. Yeah, there's like a toss-off line about how they've liberated more people in the last six months than they had in the past six years, but that is the only reference to the idea that Neo's really changed how things are working. Then eventually, Act 2, they do get a call from the Oracle, and it's time for time to fight Seraph. Briefly. But meanwhile, the guy who, like, sent that info on, he gets gooped, and then that smith picks up the phone to jack out into that guy's body. The Bane concept is interesting, yeah, but they, I don't think they really do a whole lot with it. Like, the final shot of this movie is Bane's face, and it's supposed to be like, oh, a big stinger. Yep. But at that point, it's easy to forget who he even is. Yep. <laughs> When I was a kid watching this movie, I had completely forgotten that side plot and saw that last night. I was like, oh my god, they're bringing back Cypher for the end? How'd he live? <laughs> but then I was like, oh, no, it's a different guy. Right? That's, okay. That would have been a fucking um, Pirates of the Caribbean level. Yeah. <laughs> I think this movie is missing a Cypher. They need a guy who's just kind of sneering and sarcastic at all this bullshit because everybody in this movie is too self-serious. Yeah, I mean, the reason they, they didn't have more people and Morphe as a ship is because they don't have room for more characters in this exploded movie. But yeah, you kind you kind of needed some more guys. Yeah. And the next movie, he just dies in the next like in the first 30 minutes, doesn't he? No, he like uh he like mortally wounds Trinity and blinds Neo, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, OK, there you go. There's the payoff to the Bane subplot. Uh-huh. But it's mostly as I, my, mem my memory is it's mostly as like an obstacle. He like stows away when they go fly off to meet the Machine King. It's not like, you know, he's the only one. It's not like Smith is trying to get out even more. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff on the table there that is not really the focus of the movie. I would say there's a lot of stuff on the table that's not really the focus is a problem with a lot of things in this movie. Instead, the focus of the movie is my main man, the Merovingian. Fucking king. <laughs> I love him. He drank too much wine. I must take a piece. Uh, I must take a piece. <laughs> Who do you think the Merovingian was? Well, before he became an exile? Mm-hmm. 
What did he do? I don't know. He could have just been like a water processor. Like it could have been anything. Yeah, that's true. I guess. Yeah, it, he could have. I assumed he had some kind of administrative role, but you're right. He could have been a nobody program that's just amassed power on the the edges of society. My thought was because the Oracle mentions he's one of the oldest programs, and he was around to save like the werewolves and ghosts. So maybe he was responsible for the first like heaven matrix, and he just made cakes that made people come all the time. <laughs> Ah, the Arctic, like, it was a disaster. They wouldn't stop eating the cakes that make people come. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, I like that theory. That tracks. And then he tells Agent Smith, like, we just don't have the programming language to make this work. (laughs) Yeah, but he, Neo goes to the Oracle and she reveals that actually there's sentient programs besides agents, and she's one of them. And Neo has to go find the key maker so he can get to the source, the path of the one. Yes, she does not explain what that is. She just says he's got to do it. Um, and I guess we got to do that now. Yeah, that this is what I'm saying, where they're just, they don't seem to have any ideas of what to do. They just keep being strung along by the programs. Right, which the Merovingian points out and is like, yeah, you idiots don't know what the fuck you're doing. But that doesn't even really change in the third movie, does it? Uh, I mean, I don't remember the third movie well enough. Yeah, we get to the Merovingian. He has a big speech about how we're all really just controlled by our impulses and choice is just the rationalization you make after the fact. You can see if you pay attention to this lovingly animated scene of a woman eating a cake that makes her have an orgasm. Uh-huh. It's yeah. so good. It's so good. I think the best thing about it is that like this is his play to get her to um, come to the ladies room and fuck him, I guess. Uh, but uh, she has already had the orgasm, lady. Um, <laughs> um, I understand you can have more than one, but generally speaking, I feel like if I had a cake that gave me an orgasm, my my first thought would not be I to make my way to the nearest bathroom and get another one right now. <laughs> <laughs> I just think, as a play, it's not going to have the level of success that this movie portrays it as. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he probably should have just made the cake make her really horny. I think it also did. I think it did both those things. Well, sure. But yeah, he's got a whole speech about how, yeah, they don't know what's going on. They're just following orders. And like, oh, if you're following, if you're so good at following orders, go tell the Oracle to eat shit or whatever he says. Um, But luckily his wife hates him, so (laughs) they can still complete their plan. And she she also plays her own weird little sex game where Neo has to has to kiss her passionately while Trinity watches. And she gets so (laughs) angry that she pulls a gun. This scene is ridiculous. Yes, it is. First of all, this is a PG-13 cuck play scene in the middle of a like a movie for normal people. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but second of all, it, because it's still PG-13, it's like, you have to kiss me and make me believe it. I'm like, oh, oh, don't show the kids that. <laughs> 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 and it's like, this is just ludicrous. This is... They, they may as well have been like in order for Neo, Trinity, and Persephone to get to the keymaker. Neo and Trinity, Neo and Persephone have to go to a hotel for the night, and there's only one bed. Is essentially the level <laughs> that we're yeah. dealing with here. Uh-huh. God, I'm just scrubbing through all the Merovingian stuff. His monologue about the orgasm cake is so long. It's amazing. This is the stuff in the movie that I love. This is why the movie's good. Because they just give this ridiculous man three minutes to pontificate about the philosophical implications of the cake that makes you nut. Um, like- right. <laughs> yeah, I feel like they're, they're, 
saying something like illustrating how evil he is by this sexual deviancy versus uh neo and trinity's good white missionary position uh-huh yeah it's just again it's one of those things of like wait sorry what's happening with the machines what's going on in zion uh no time for that we gotta talk about this fuck cake <laughs> the burly brawl is yes it, it goes on a little too long the uh cgi not great but one effect I do like is when he knocks Smith over and there's like domino sounds and bowling pin sounds. They literally play a bowling pin sound effect. <laughs> it's very funny. Yeah. I also do, just do like the projecting the concept of, oh, the CGI looks bad because uh, they're just stressing the matrix so out that the rendering resolution gets lower. Uh-huh. Oh, the matrix is running a 56k modem. Right. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Digital Foundry doing a Matrix analysis. <laughs> Fucking get to Matrix Revolutions when there's just like a billion Smiths on the street and it just looks like an old like 1995 early 3D, just like 10 polygons for the whole screen. God. That'd be good shit. You know what fight scene I do think is good is the Chateau fight. It's pretty good. Yeah, this might be my favorite fight in the trilogy. Uh, it's because all the fights so far have been either like fist fights or gun fights. And this is just a whole bunch of melee weapons. Yeah, they got swords and spears and stuff. Yeah, it definitely mixes it up a bit. They should remake The Matrix Path of Neo. <laughs> now we're talking. Because <laughs> it's basically the perfect idea for a video game in that all these fights are already video game set pieces. Right. Um, but the thing you have to do for, to make The Matrix Path of Neo, which they tried and they did their best, but not, you know, not great, um, is you have to make both a good melee combat system and also a good gun combat system at the same time. Um I think someone should have another shot. This is I, this is one of the scenes where I'm too busy thinking about the Matrix Path of Neo. <laughs> <laughs> a thing I keep coming back to with all the fight scenes with Neo in them in this movie is that, like, the end of the first movie, the climax is that, like, he is beyond punching or shooting guns. Like, when he breathes, the room breathes with him. And I, it's... I want to see more, like, stuff like that in his fight scenes, and I don't know how you would do it exactly, but it's just the fact that now he's like, oh, no, no, I'll just have a, a fist fight with this guy. Like, why? That seems, like, beneath you, I thought. But I guess not. And, like, the answer is because it's the Matrix and people want to see cool fist fights, but I don't know. Yeah, the couple fights in the beginning with the agents are just kind of nothing. He just clowns on them, but not in a way that's even interesting to watch. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I wish they had made a PS4 remake of The Path of Neo to tie in with the new Matrix movie. Oh, be, please, yeah. society, oh, God, yes. if. <laughs> they should bring back The Matrix Online and they should uh, remake The Path of Neo, especially the bit where there's the fire bugs. Fully on board with this. Um. Yeah, Neo, um, Trinity and Morpheus get the keymaker out and have the best action scene ever made the highway chase oh yeah we gotta talk about the keymaker for a second love this guy my favorite guy in the whole matrix series he's just in the room with a bunch of keys he just likes to sit in his little room and make some keys he doesn't talk very much but he's friendly so we've already seen up to this point in the movie people use keys to get the back doors that can teleport you around the matrix right um, yeah, yeah yeah that's the thing we already know but it, it doesn't prepare you for we need to find the key maker, brackets, metaphorical, uh, the whole movie, and they find him, and it's a guy making keys. Like, just- yeah, just a guy with, like, a nail file grinding down a key to make it fit a lock. That's so good. It's so good. I love his vest that's just covered in keychains. Oh. And then he spends the entire highway chase just getting, just yeeted around. Yeah. Uh -huh. 
<laughs> they treat him like a football. I love how much he has physical key rings and he has to fiddle with them as he tries to open the doors. Uh-huh. <laughs> Matrix Path of Neo was on PC. I could probably get that. Oh, shit. <laughs> shit. Shit. <laughs> yeah. 4K Path of Neo. 4K Path of Neo. But then Morpheus and Trinity get down to the parking garage uh, and have their first fight with the ghost twins. Classic guys. Don't know what their deal is. They're ghosts from the Hell Matrix. Yeah, they're ghosts from the Hell Matrix. Aren't they like vampires? These are vampires? I think so. Like, the, the, the other guards are werewolves. She shoots werewolves in the head with a silver bullet. I thought they were werewolves. I thought the, like, pale ghostly guys were, were vampires, was technically. I guess I just assume because they turn intangible, that's like a ghost thing. I guess they are also ghosts, but maybe they're just ghosts. I don't know if- it's- Maybe they're the ghosts of vampires. I guess they could be. Are the twins vampires? I like how everyone keeps closing doors in Neo's face that knock him out to the mountains. Oh, can I just say how fucking funny it is? The Chateau fight. He is performing in human feats. He is like force grabbing swords, killing like six guys at once, super speeding, jumping around, crazy shit. Uh, Then fails to catch the Merovingian shutting a door. He doesn't even shut it that fast. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I feel like there's something thematic to that, but I don't know what. <laughs> Does it mean anything? That he can't, that he doesn't shut the door? Who knows who can say? The, the They guard all the doors, they hold all the keys, was Morpheus's line in the first movie, so I don't know, it's like that. Well, it's, it's, Neo is just a machine, a fighting machine, you know, and he can't, he hesitates when the time comes to open the, the do- door. No, nah. <laughs> not Not that. Um, in the highway scene, they they do not directly kill any cops. They always turn into agents first, unlike in the first movie where they do kill cops and you see a corpse with police blazing across the chest. Yeah, not as much police murder in this one. They do kill security guards, but they were security guards of nuclear power plants, which I guess the Wachowskis hate. Sure. <laughs> There's like scenes of Niobe glaring at a nuclear power plant as the keymaker says, it must be destroyed. Right. But yeah, then we have a very long highway chase fight scene. This is the scene. It's so sick. It's so sick. It's so cool. Morpheus cuts a car with the katana and then shoots the gas tank. One of the coolest things that's ever happened in all of cinematic history. I also just like that the agents, they're not like chumps here. They are a threat. Yeah. But Trinity and Morpheus can hold their own against them in a way that would have been considered impossible in the first movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've they've been grinding XP. And they're no they're not as afraid of them anymore, because fear was their greatest asset. Right, right. Well, god damn it. <laughs> I'll never survive a direct assault. I'll never expect a direct assault or whatever. I don't remember the rest of that uh rest of that quote. If Nora was here. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm watching Morpheus cut the SUV apart. It's very cool to see. It's really good. Yeah. This is this is also kind of unique. This is really the only, like, vehicle scene in the trilogy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and at the end of it, Trinity just kind of gets away on an overpass, but then the Keymaker and Morpheus are trapped between two trucks that are going to crash into each other, and they jump, and they're caught between in the explosion as the camera swivels around, and Neo flies and saves them at the last second. Yeah, it's a real, real superhero shot. This scene raises so many world-building questions that I was not prepared to have or ask of the Matrix ever, but it raises those questions to me regardless. (laughs) What questions are you thinking of? So, the Matrix. It is a simulation based on, like, 1999 uh, end-of-history 
uh western world yeah uh, they live in the mega city there is no place that isn't the city in the matrix right which i feel like in the first movie you don't necessarily know that it seems like it's just kind of the whole world and this one really drives home no it's just the city well th- yeah this is the thing we know about the matrix is the, this is the city this is the the whole universe for the matrix but we now have we have mountains that are 500 miles away from a highway <laughs> <laughs> where yes. is the highway going what is mountains. being del- <laughs> like and they, they, they do the big shot of him like flying in and it's like a whole areas of flyway between highway between like two parts of the city i guess like someone thought about this while designing this but it still raises the question of like what is logistically happening in the matrix because logistics still has to happen because people still have jobs right there's no I feel like it would have been more sensible to just say it is the actual world than it is to ask how do the, like, hidden bits of making the logistics of a world uh, make sense in the Matrix. Um, And by having this, like, highway to nowhere infinitely here, it's like, what's what's going on? What's happening? It just makes me ask those questions. Yeah, I do think this highway is also, like, impossibly long for how long they're on it. Yes. Yeah, I think the the way I always rationalized it when I was younger was just that, like, well, it's the Matrix. There's probably a certain amount of, like, dream logic where, like, actually, the internal logic of the Matrix doesn't hold up, but because of the Matrix, you don't question it all the way. But, yeah, it they could make it more internally consistent uh, than they did, and there's no real... They don't gain anything by making it more confusing. Uh, they also, like, we get the population of Zion, which is 250,000. And then the architect says that's supposed to be about 1% of the population. So I guess there's like 25 million humans in the Matrix. So you don't have to make the world that big. And then also, like, the Matrix does feel like it's kind of less real, as if it's as almost as if it's uh, degrading and needs to be reloaded. <laughs> Boo! <laughs> <laughs> Because you don't, there's no scenes with like Neo's boss or the guy who buys Mario ROMs off of Neo. Oh, sure. Like they, they only talk to programs and other red pills. That's one of the things that I find really interesting is that when I last, I last watched The Matrix, I think the first like 40 minutes of The Matrix are really fucking cool. And it's something that happens to a lot of series where like they will introduce things like their, their fantasy world with context to help the audience. And then that context is lost once you are already in the place. You don't need to have you know you already know what an agent means, so you don't have to do the incredible scene, which might genuinely be the best scene in the entire series. First scene in the Matrix, uh, where some cops are trying to arrest a girl, and then like guys wearing sunglasses in the middle of the night step out the car, and the cops know who they are. They're like, oh, it's these guys, and that just like tells you something about the relationship of the world, which is lost when it's sixteen f- fictional factions fighting against each other. Yeah. Theoretically, this is what the Animatrix is supposed to be for, but also that also has a different vision of the Matrix. Yeah, for sure. They go so hard on world building so fast in a way that it is definitely reminiscent of modern stuff. This is what modern stuff does all the time, like building our cinematic universe. But at the time, it's like they're trying to do TV show level stuff, but they haven't had the episode count. Like It's like going yeah. in on episode three. They, I, you haven't had five episodes about Morpheus doing nonsense. Yeah, it feels like they had enough ideas for like five matrix movies and instead of like picking their favorite ones to put into two and three they just said ah let's just kind of put them all in and we'll just kind of like uh try to just go quickly here to get it all you know like there should be a movie about how there's programs that like 
are werewolves and aliens from, like, the Hell Matrix. That alone is an interesting premise to use for the Matrix. But when it's just like, uh, there's these two guys on a couch, they're werewolves, but don't worry, we shot them already. It's over. It's like, well, okay, I don't know why we've spent time on exposition about that if that's all that's going to amount to. Or, yeah, like, it seems like they could do a TV series set in the Matrix world and just, like, have a different thing every time. And, like, it'd probably be really good. But, yeah, I just don't know. They have too many ideas and they're trying to get to all of them. And I think it kind of suffers for it. It's interesting in that, like, the Matrix's 2003 multimedia extravaganza is clearly, like, driven um, by the Wachowskis and their urge to, like, do this. Right. Uh, you know, we both know they're nerds. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this is just something that is clearly cause like in the cynical version of this, um, which and this is still like this is still WB making a multimedia push. It's not like a not corporate move. Um, but it is interesting in how you can tell it is clearly driven by these people who have interest in it because you would not ever in a million billion years shoot forty minutes of footage. With the same crew and the same actors and the same people who you are making two movies with, 40 minutes of additional scenes for a fucking PS2 game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't do that? No, it's it's ridiculous that that happened. And it's very interesting how they, they do all this, like, extra textual work, but it's not really in service of, like, building out the universe. It's just more stuff that raises more questions. It's not yeah. like a dense novel series where, like, in this chapter, we'll go into this part of this society. And this it is just some just stuff. They, it's, it's a very weird... I would have loved to have been in uh, the meetings. Yeah. Um, you know, to see how, how this whole project got off the ground. Because obviously, like... WB were great. They were like, the Matrix is a huge hit. Like, this could be the new Star Wars. What do you got? Give us give us the next thing. And then they were like, what if it was weird? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is interesting to me that after the year of the Matrix, you still have Path of Neo, you still have Matrix Online, but then the Matrix just kind of goes away for a while in a way that would not happen today. Yeah, yeah. Because like, yeah, I guess thinking about today, like Rise of Skywalker was probably hated even more than like the Matrix sequels. But like, that doesn't mean Star Wars is hibernating for a while or anything. No, there's just more Star Wars shit always. Yeah, like, I'm surprised they haven't already announced some HBO Max TV series. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, now's time to do the big heist. We just cut straight from the highway to the keymaker. Yeah, or this is another example of what I was saying. Like, you could do an entire, what would a heist movie in the Matrix be like? That sounds cool. It does sound cool, but we don't have that much time left in this movie, so let's just go. We gotta rush. Uh, yes. Neo asks Trinity to stay out of this mission because he was told earlier by the Oracle that he might have to choose uh, whether Trinity lives or dies. Well, and because he keeps having visions of her dying. Why, why was that? <laughs> I'm to think, is there a th third example of like, oh, the main guy keeps having dreams of his girlfriend dying? Because there's this, there's Revenge of the Sith. Why was that just a thing in the early 2000s? This is several, this is many stories across all of human history. You know what? That's a fair point. <laughs> You are right, Jackson, but I'm like, that's why I should be able to think of it. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, like, you could argue like, this is a diff- different situation, but, like, you know, uh, Oedipus is one of these. It's like everyone everyone focuses on the part that, like, the mum situation, but it's like, you know, it's often in the form of, like, fortune telling and prophecies more than it is. The, like, dreams are a modern version of that without the, like, mystical bent, even though this movie also has prophecies unrelated <laughs> right. to the dreams. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. tangentially yeah. related. Uh, you, know what, you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. Well, Neo already had to, like, well, you gotta decide whether whether Morpheus will die in the last movie. Even though he tells her to stay out of it, uh, she has to get in it, because she has to. Well, right, because the whole setup of the heist is like, okay, we can shut off power to this building for, like, five minutes, and uh, then, you know, after those five minutes, that door won't open anymore, and we have to open that door to fulfill the prophecy. So she has to go in to, you know, make it happen when the, the crew gets taken out. Uh, all the Smiths, like, flood into, like, the secret backdoor hallway we get one more big smith time fight smith is like like the plot of the next movie is kind of about smith but in this one he's just the guy who shows up to ruin your day uh-huh. yeah because the great thing about me is that there's always more of me like it's not clear what his role in this grand scheme is or he wants to have everything but like what does this have to do with all of the prophecy stuff that's happening the architect doesn't reference him at all even though it kind of seems like he should yeah smith does not feel like a well thought out character in this movie in either. fact the 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 architect even says that like the difference here is trinity and not also that another major difference here is the guy taking over everyone even though that will briefly become incredibly important in about 60 minutes of movie right that's gonna be what the entire third movie's about yeah like that smith and morpheus scene in the first one is so good and is like such a fun left turn of like oh this guy who was just like a faceless bad guy has this weird uh like inner conflict that's interesting and then just the way that develops in this one just like i don't know he's just there's a lot of them now he's mad don't worry about it we'll figure it out next movie um but yeah trinity gets the thing makes it happen and uh, they get through the door but the keymaker gets shot ripped to a real one i do like the shot of the keymaker doing like a scooby-doo routine through the doors and then he looks over at the agent smiths making cartoon punching sounds at neo <laughs> as he shuffles yes. over to the door yep i remember the the scene in particular or the line in particular that my dad just threw up his hands at was when uh the keymaker is giving all the exposition about how the heist is gonna work and they ask him like how do you know this and his answer is i know because i must know it's my purpose and my dad was like all right well fuck you then <laughs> it seemed like a reasonable question to me but i guess uh i'm just a dumb idiot <laughs> It's it's it no it's it's a fine answer the 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 part of that that's ridiculous isn't that the answer's bad it's that yeah. no one at any point stops them and go maybe this entire quest of the one has been designed by some kind of architect if he's right. just like I have been placed here to do this this is my yeah. like one purpose and no no one considers it like wow we sure have been taking orders from guys who have only existed to do the one thing that they do in the movie and then stop you know like they're they are pieces in a video game they are like designed characters on this this quest that they have a functional purpose yes uh and he says this and it doesn't raise morpheus's like doubts at all um right and then like leads up to them going to the architect and i love the architect scene as well there are three guys in this movie who are like cool actors that they got to deliver lines that could be stupid but are amazing and it's uh it's larry fishburne uh it's um definitely hugo weaving because i don't think smith is an interesting villain but they they understand that they can give (laughs) hugo weaving lines and he can be like 
Night is inevitable, Mr. Anderson. <laughs> Hugo Weaving's working real hard to try to make him interesting, and I don't think he gets there, but that's because he was given an impossible job. And then we have the architect, who I don't even know what guy they got for this. That's Helmet Bacchitis. Incredible. Well, he's amazing. Great job, everyone. Yep. Yeah. Uh, everyone clowned on the architect scene at the time, and uh, fuck you, it's actually great. <laughs> everyone clowned on it, but they also liked it. I don't know. Yeah. The legendary frog parody is funny. Sure. Listen, I can laugh at a parody. I'm just saying. You cannot have that many parodies without it some on some level being a classic scene because everyone, even if they hadn't seen the fucking Matrix Reloaded, knew what you were doing in 2003 when you were like, uh, go concordantly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like the transition of like he opens the door and it all goes white and then it zooms out and that was a star on one of the monitors and he's just in here now. Oh, it's so cool. And just a bajillion Neos on every screen and showing, like, every response he could have. Ah, I love it. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> just showing, like, all the screens just have, like, footage from the first Matrix on them. Beautiful. Love it. Your story can be dog shit, but if it ends in, with an architect-style scene, I'll be like, that was pretty good, actually. <laughs> yeah, I do kind of, I, I kind of want an architect at the ending of every movie to explain how everything you thought was true was actually <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> well, Metal Gear Solid 2, Metal Gear Solid, I mean, every Metal Gear Solid game, really, um, that's the stuff you want. That's 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 the juice. That is the stuff I want. I'm a sucker for it. They should bring back Metal Gear. Mm, I don't know if they should bring back Metal Gear. <laughs> I, think, I think Metal Gear's had its moment. They, they should bring back the Hideo Kojima that made Metal Gear to yes. make something good, and not whatever Hideo Kojima is currently walking around making Death Stranding twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, Architect explains, yeah, the whole thing is just a setup. We we have to give you a choice to be in the Matrix, even if you don't know you're consciously making it. But that means that some people will subconsciously decide they don't want to be in the Matrix. So we have to, like, create a secondary system to catch them. And the whole, like, Zion and the One Prophecy is it. And just every once in a while, we just clean Zion out and start over. It works. And the, the part where the Architect, I guess, kind of makes an opening for the ending of revolutions is that neo says you can't just let us all die because you need us to survive too and the architect says well there are levels of survival we're prepared to accept which means there's room to make concessions to the humans they just have to be backed into a corner where they're willing to make those which they're being done both by neo and by smith yeah, but also at the same time, like, he's saying, like, listen, yeah, we'll just kill all of you. It won't be fun for us, but, like, better that than you guys killing us. You know, it, we all just need to talk. We'll just, we just gotta talk it out. We all, we got a lot more in common than we realize. I don't think it's that. I think the, the, the stuff here that's interesting to me is it, it is very dated because um, the Matrix is like a metaphor deeply relies on a late 90s understanding of what it means to be oppressed by America as yeah. people living in America because it is like the Matrix is a movie about the meaningless oppression of having a really good job <laughs> right yes it's like that office space kind of thing yeah it's in the office space. it's absolutely a classic one of those um, yeah and including getting to the idea of like human suffering exists because it is something in our nature and we would reject the utopia is like a thing that the architect says multiple times it's like a core to his thesis um and we need not just suffering but also the agency over our own suffering uh 
to like accept the world as real and it's just something that's like i don't believe you i just don't have the same view as humanity uh, as you everyone i know is suffering in ways that are so obvious that the idea right. that we're like we would reject the world if it wasn't like the late 90s like the the horror of having a corporate job is like damn there's just a just in a different universe yeah for sure there's and there's no space given over in either of the sequels to like challenge the architect's claim there like smith says in the first movie even like oh it was a paradise and y'all didn't want it like there's no one to, like i don't know let can we show it to me like let's let's talk hold on wait can we just all be eating orgasm cake we could all be eating orgasm cake <sighs> they've taken so much from us yeah it's weird it's just a strange situation i i don't know i like the scene i really like the scene because i think it is aesthetically cool i think the things he is saying yeah. are incredible i like he's like the problem with choice the first major design was quite naturally perfect with the work of artful and just like incredible delivery just beautiful uh i don't think it's that deep because i do think that like ultimately the questions being asked are akin to the um uh, album cover for muse's drones album mm-hmm. uh and on some level I roll my eyes at all this shit of like, you, you know, this is already a system of control. And the thing is, I do, I like, I, I do, I do agree. I'm not saying you're wrong about this. I just would like you to go a bit further than it. Like, one of the most baffling choices in this movie is we have that scene. Uh, Neo then saves Trinity and restarts her heart by putting his hand in her chest. Uh-huh, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but then after that, he explains to Morpheus that the prophecy is a lie. But then um, Morpheus asks, who told you? And he says, doesn't matter. And Morpheus doesn't ask anymore. And I'm like, yeah. Morpheus doesn't know about the architect. Morpheus doesn't, he doesn't tell Morpheus about the architect. There's like yeah. massive shift to his worldview. Morpheus never sits with that because they, they have to run back and deal with the, uh, the upcoming invasion. So like the idea of Morpheus attempting to like reckon with this and the whole thing the movie's about is kind of skipped over in favor of more stuff. I'm like, this, right. this is the crunchy, interesting things. And they, they, they just uh, decide not to put it in the film. Yeah, I think this is the architect scene is a great thing to have in the second movie of a trilogy, but for it to really fully like just sing, the third movie has to be about proving the architect wrong, and it's not. It's about different stuff. Yeah, Neo is kind of just resigned to the fate that the architect laid out at the end of this movie. He thinks like, okay, Zion will die, but at least I get Trinity. Well, I think his thing is like, oh, no, I'll just save everybody because I'm a superhero. I'm going to save Trinity and I'm going to save Zion. That's not what he feels like at the end when he's talking to Morpheus. No, I guess you're right. He's very resigned when he's there with Morpheus. You're right. You're right. He's like, I don't fucking know, man. Uh, And then he gets the ability to control the machines in the real world. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, he has Wi-Fi in his plugs. Yeah, he unlocks the Wi-Fi router inside his uh, machine parts. Which is, a, is an interesting direction. Like, okay, so the, the architect has said this, you had this design situation uh, with um, one specific function, and then the second he rejects that, he is able to do crazy shit in a way that is like... We've seen him do all the wild stuff inside the Matrix, but the idea of him using the Force in the real world is like, what? Um, and... It is, that's the stuff that is the most interesting about the third movie, but I haven't revisited that I'm curious how it goes, because it's like this really bold idea that I don't understand, you know, having not watched the third one in in over a decade, like, what, that, where does that, I wonder where that goes, I wonder, that's the, putting a pin in that. Yeah, my memory is that they don't do very much with it, he gets blinded, and like, he can see the code in the real world the same way he can in the Matrix, so he can see, even though his eyes are destroyed, and other than that, I don't think he really does anything else with like, his one powers in the real world. Yeah, he doesn't, like, do telekinesis. He just sees and interacts with machines. So it's, yeah. like, all explained 
obtainable through a wireless connection. And I know some people um, have like taken this with the idea of uh what if the real world's already another matrix which is like a hilarious level of missing the point yes. that's definitely what i thought when i was like 13 but no <laughs> but it, i mean the movie's already about that through metaphor the movie's already yeah, saying yeah, yeah. the real world is itself a matrix because the matrix isn't a real thing like if you think about it all like control and various forms exist in many structures but then to go then <laughs> to take that go this means the real world is also a digital simulation it's like guys 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 you want to listen to the movie like, they already have the big speech from the, the councilman who's like, hey, when you think about it, we're kind of plugged into, like, our generator the same way we're plugged into the Matrix, because we can't live without it. Yeah, and Neo literally says the line, the prophecy is just another form of control, like the Matrix. Uh-huh. He does say that. Yeah, I was like, I, I got it. Don't worry. I was watching the movie. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, yeah, Neo is in a coma after he used his Matrix powers in the real world. And oh my god, he's on the same bed as Bane. Yeah, Bane. Bane. Because Bane sabotaged uh, an attempt to ambush the machines and maybe cut the war short. That bit's really interesting in that, like, why? Why? Why would he do that? Good question. I'm not sure what he gains from that. I'm like, what does Smith gain? Because Smith is also against the machines. He's not a machine agent. Right. What does he gain from that? Is he just the Chaos Joker? But like, eventually his plan is to come into the real world. I know that is his plan, because that's what happens in the Matrix Revolution. He's like, why he wants to take over Neo at the end, I think. You know, we'll see. Uh, if I, I probably won't revisit it before the Resurrections. I'm not going to lie. I'm not the biggest Matrix head. I'll just listen to sure. someone else tell me. Um but that's that's like making me ask like he's not essentially aiding for the machines. Why would he aid them? Doesn't he want the war between the humans and the machines to be as equal a footing as possible to give him an advantage? I guess it's just that he hates the humans more than he hates the machines. Like he doesn't like the machines, but he's like disgusted by humanity. I don't know. Yeah, you're right that it doesn't track very well. Yeah, I think his goal, if you could call it that, is to take over the Matrix enough that he can take over all the machines and everything's him, and also kill the humans because he hates their smell. Right. Well, and I think, too, part of it with Smith is that, like, I don't think anything actually would satisfy, like, the void inside him because he doesn't actually know, like, he is not actually engaged with himself enough to understand what he really wants. He just is lashing out because he doesn't feel right. Yeah, he doesn't believe in anyone and anything, and he just follows his own impulses. Yeah. Kind of like Neo, except he believes in Trinity, which is good. Like, I think if Smith won at the end and wiped out all the humans and took over all the machines and everything was just him, I think he'd be fucking miserable. Well, yes. <laughs> he is not a deep <laughs> villain. He is, right. like, quest for power uh, in a way, like, you know, scratching at a thing he can never edge. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then Trinity, then Neo has to be like, I found this, I've, I've resolved the contradiction, it is love, and then <laughs> that's the movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what Smith needed was a GF. Yeah. <laughs> that's, um, that's the new Evangelion movie. Is, uh... That's true, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think they'll put a hot lady agent into Resurrections? <laughs> I think it's honestly wild that they haven't already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I do want to put my put my um like chips on the table right now. I think the Matrix Resurrections is going to be bad. I agree. I I'm hoping it'll be good, but I won't be surprised if it's bad. <laughs> my favorite thing about it is that like it's directed by Lana, um, but Lily has made comments before. And, like I'm never making a third. We're never making a third Matrix movie. Such a thing would be awful. And then 
Lana's like, well, I still want to make movies, and they don't they don't let us make original ones now, so I'll do it. And then uh, Lily went off to write, work on like a sitcom or something. Yeah. Um, uh, which is why it's uh, only Lana this time. Uh, I, I'm I'm interested in it. I will watch it uh, the day yeah. it comes out because it's on HBO Max. Um, I would not be going into the cinema for it. Sure. Uh, but I, I am very curious. Like, it's first of all they don't have Morpheus back. They have a new guy, and I, he is a fine actor. Baffling to me. How is that not the first fucking phone call you make? Because as I was saying, I don't like Morpheus. I like Larry Fishburne delivering those lines to me. Uh, yes. So another guy delivering those lines isn't like, oh, a new take on Morpheus. It's just like, well, what, what are we doing here? Uh, they don't have Smith to do that anymore because Hugo Weaving is never like, saying yes to one of these ever again in his life. Uh, I guess they do get the Merovingian. and he'll be funny. Um, but aside from that, I'm like, I did not like the trailer with the... Um, therapist and he's taken the red pill but like yeah the blue the blue pill but it's like a it's, it's like the meds the meds they keep you on these therapy places they put you down i'm like oh ugh. yeah and everybody be on their ipads they'd be on their ipads because the ipads are also a matrix did you get it do you know right. did you get it uh-huh um, yeah so my mind is open to the possibility of it being cool but i think the idea of coming back to do like more modern versions and like a slightly meta matrix sequel but still with keanu reeves and trinity in it for somehow like i don't know why keanu reeves and Keanu ross are in this movie they're fucking dead yeah i mean we talked before i think it's because the main thing that got the ball rolling on this movie was hey people like them john wicks what else yeah. can we put keanu reeves i in? understand it's keanu reeves is a bankable star but like um in that sense, it's it is just very. This is a cynical a reboot to me. I am yeah. sure, like by Lana being involved in getting the co-writers that she has, uh, it will be more interesting than if WB made one on their own. But I don't think it's right. going to be like a classic. Yeah, yeah, I I don't think you're wrong. They've brought back Sati, but not Morpheus. What are they fucking doing? They didn't even ask him. They did. They didn't ask him. Lawrence Fishburne said he didn't get a call, which is absurd. Lawrence fucking Fishburne. He's in John Wick. <laughs> Yeah, like the the only way it makes sense to me is if that's a lie and he's actually going to show up in like the third act. But I don't know. I, I genuinely don't think that. I think they have the new Morpheus and that's just Morpheus now. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I just don't understand why. I don't know. Why recast Solid Snake? Decisions are made all the time that yeah, yeah. make no sense to me. It is like you said, you know, everyone in these movies struggles to deliver these fucking lines except for Lawrence Fishburne. He's the one that can sell all this corny bullshit. It's just it's just baffling. Uh with all this said, what grade would you give to the Matrix Reloaded? Gosh. I I'd give it a solid B. Alright. Yeah, that's about where I'm at with it, I think. Like I feel like this was a kind of um more negative podcast than I expected to have because I am a Matrix Reloaded Defender. It's probably my favorite Matrix movie. Uh mm. but I I like it because a bunch of stuff happens, there's a cool action scene, and the Merovingian is like it's like wiping your ass with silk. I love it. Uh, <laughs> like that's why I like the movie. After just saying a bunch of cuss words in French. <laughs> yeah, just like incredible scenes of people just chewing the scenery on those ludicrous lines what if the war could be over tomorrow isn't that worth fighting for isn't that worth dying for it's cool that stuff's good when i like try to think about it, i'm like i'm not i'm not invested in the philosophical arguments here of the movie right. reloaded i just enjoy my guys <laughs> yeah 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 i was coming into this prepared to say like oh this is the best matrix movie and i also came a little a little more negative than i expected i think matrix one is probably a much more solid standalone film. Yes, in the way that we generally judge movies, but Matrix 1 does not have any of the stuff that makes it, like, the Merovingian is only in this one. 
So it's about a movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think about a B is where I'm at with it, too. Just like part of what frustrates me about this movie is I can see like watching it. It's easy for me to imagine, oh, this could have been better if they had done X, Y, Z. Like I like I feel like when they were at like the plot outline stage of writing this movie, they were just like nailing everything right. Like, oh, yeah, that is a cool idea for a Matrix sequel. And so is this. Oh, right. And yeah, this should happen, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just the way it comes together never quite clicks the way I want it to. And I'm just, I can constantly like see like, ooh, there's the movie I want this to be just right around the corner from the movie that actually exists. Uh, We have a few quick questions. Hit me. Iris writes in. Imagine you are Morpheus, standing on the highway, staring down the twins as they barrel towards you in an automobile. What vehicle would bring you the most satisfaction to destroy with your sick-ass katana? (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Yeah, what do you want to cut in half the the most? Tesla. Yeah, it's probably a Tesla. That's like the easy answer, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's the easy answer. I feel like I want something because it's a real cool moment. And I guess it wouldn't matter because they're ghosts. But uh, the SUV is so tall that he's not really cutting them. Like, I want him to, like, get a slice in on them while he does the move. So, like, something low to the ground, like a sports car or something. Turtle Ant asks, what do you think would be a fun cryptid monster to translate into a Matrix buggy program, dude? Hmm. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, The Abominable Snowman. (laughs) (laughs) Mothman is just a bridge control program. (laughs) Uh, maybe a, a, a Sushinoko. It was just like, I don't like to design, the architect was like, I don't think snakes should be this wide. Oh, <laughs> uh, we fucked up. I found an actual picture of snakes. They don't look like that. <laughs> um, and finally, Crass asks, what's your favorite lost beverage? Mine is the Matrix Reloaded Powerade. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about that fucking Powerade commercial earlier today. In the Matrix 3, there's going to be a scene where they run through a subway with Powerade posters plastered all over the walls. <laughs> Lost beverage. I have no idea, because I order the same beverages there. I'm not very I'm not very adventurous. I do not have the novelty beverages. I'm sure there are many, but I just don't know any of them. Yeah, same. I think it's, I like novelty beverages, but I, I try them once, and that's enough. I don't want to come back to them. You don't yearn for them again. Crystal Pepsi. Sure. Why not? <laughs> Jackson just posted an image of the Powerade hallway. <laughs> it's so fucking big! <laughs> this image is so funny. It is like, oh, I-, I found the limited crate of the uh, uh, Matrix Reloaded Powerade. Oh, I'm busy. Uh, my parents aren't home. <laughs> Actually, one more question from Mitchell. If you both had to come up with a plot for a Matrix 4, having just come off this movie and knowing nothing about the upcoming sequel, what would your plot be about? (laughs) Hang on. There are several impossible hypotheticals (laughs) to this question. But okay. So I'm not coming up with a different plot for Revolutions, but I am coming up with a plot for a movie that is a sequel to Revolutions, but I don't know what happens in Revolutions. Yes, that's Yes, correct. that's the premise of the question. <laughs> but I have seen the trailer for The Matrix Revolutions included with The Matrix Reloaded. Yes, right, because that's part of The Matrix Reloaded. It's part of the movie, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, who? Oh. Well, what happens in that, in that trailer? Some stuff kicks off, it's a big fight. It's just like everything that has a beginning has an end, and like all the Smiths are in the street, and there's robots. I guess I would assume 
in a world where I didn't know that the third one was definitely 100% the ending, yeah. I would assume it would be like a war of what happens to the people after they break out with Zion in like a Terminator future with the machines. Would be my would be my guess. Yeah, I think I would go like basically a movie that has similar plot lines to like the matrix online of like the matrix is now like owned by everybody like we control it i don't actually know what happens in the matrix online but this is what i assume how it works like just based on the end of revolutions <laughs> you got like three three sentences and then a minute i actually don't know shit about yeah, you know, it I actually the there's agents in that game so i don't think that's how it works actually but you know like the matrix like people are that live in the matrix are now living in there by choice so like it's this now like people have like this control over reality and like trying to navigate the weird conflicts that arise when like that is not a like centrally imposed thing by the machines but something that everybody has to like you know work together to decide what kind of like reality they want to inhabit um I I would assume that the Matrix 3 ended with the Matrix being rebooted, and then it resets to the Matrix 1, but things are a little different, and maybe this time Neo can break the cycle in the Matrix 4. Okay, well great, you're hired, because guess what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, that comes to the end of the show. Luke, is there anything you'd like to play? Oh, actually, no, Jackson, would you like to go first? Oh yeah, you can find me at headfullsoff on twitter.com. You can find the podcast I do at abnormalmapping.com. Support them on Patreon at patreon.com slash abnormalmapping, uh, where you can get the great Gundam project for $1 a month. People seem to like it. We're just starting Gundam Seed. So if you have watched Gundam Seed in the past, now's a great time to come on. I know that's a lot of uh, kids. they got feelings about Gundam Seed. If I might be so bold, repertory screenings and blockbusters, both two pretty good movie podcasts. Oh yeah, we do have those. That uh, Bloodbusters are five dollar patreon podcast but Rev screens is free and you can listen to that we just watched uh peeping tom that's a fucking good movie uh luke how about you uh you can find me on twitter at ssj speed racer you can find other shows i do on audioentropy.com such as uh eidolon playtest uh it's an actual play podcast that i gm in order to playtest eidolon become your best self a game i have written uh with my friend molly inspired by uh, persona and jojo's bizarre adventure uh you can find reprise falls a podcast that we did about gravity falls for 17 episodes before we got <laughs> fucking sick of gravity falls the show's sucks oh you ejected from it yeah yeah they press the button they're out we're just cutting the cord it's no good we got tired of having to say that gravity falls hates women and fat people every single week uh so instead you can listen to totally reprise has always been cool our twin peaks podcast that we're starting up oh awesome yeah yeah so you can also find me on idolon play to best you can find me on uh the book of medora podcast about the lore of the legend of zelda series but we finished all those games a long time ago so now we're doing the sub-series the book of aurora about the metroid games and how they change the story of metroid one every time they retell it uh-huh. I mean, she goes to the planet and blows up the mother brain. Not, not much happens in that game. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you. It should be pretty easy to get right. I have played, <laughs> I've played uh, Metroid, Metroid Fusion, um, Metroid Prime's one and two. That's my, that's my Metroid experience. <laughs> kind of a weird picture of that lore. Yeah, Metroid Fusion's a great game. 
Metroid Fusion is a classic, and they made a sequel to it, but I, I, I've heard it's not really as much of a sequel to Metroid Fusion as I like. Of course, it is its own weird thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a sequel to Samus Returns. Well, I meant dealing with the wild lore shit at the end of uh, Metroid Fusion, which I think is the coolest stuff in Metroid. The stuff I've heard about Dread is like wild in its own way, but not as uh, in the direction I necessarily was hoping for. Yeah. Let's close off with a joke about the Matrix. This comes in from upjoke.com slash matrix dash jokes. <laughs> what would Reese Witherspoon's credits name be if she starred in the Matrix? Oh. Um... Reese, there is no spoon. Yeah, there is no wither spoon. Reese wither, because there is no spoon. Well, yeah, oh. I guess. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. No shit, yeah. Okay, here's, goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. Bye.